Grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Now you heard Brother Feavi mention it, and then you heard Brother Max mention it. The joy that comes from fellowship with God's people. And it is a joy, and it's a blessing from God. And when you start to experience that, you start to understand that this was not man's idea. This was God's idea. A church was set up for a reason, and there is benefit to it. Um, We uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. We went off to North Dakota, and we were there for a week. It was negative 20 when we landed. That was my reaction. (laughs) Uh, The next day it was negative 30 with the wind chills. And sitting there in that negative 30 weather, my nephew took a pair of pants outside, wet them down, took them outside, and then brought them back in and then stood them up on the floor. (laughs) Just frigid, frigid weather. The inside of the windows frost. The inside. Yeah, I wrote my name in it. It, The inside frosts. When we had our, our, our mini snowmageddon, 4 by 4 Sunday, um, when it snowed, what, 16 inches, something like that, they canceled services in North Dakota, not because they had snow, but it was 50 below that Sunday. And what they were scared of was the cars that would start, if they made it to church, that they wouldn't start back up again after church. <laughs> but you land in somewhere like that, and it feels like you're landing on an alien, unhospitable, you know, no one lives here. Or if they do, I don't want to meet them. Um, that's the other side of it. And you feel like you've landed on some kind of alien planet. Now, consequently, uh, in Bismarck, North Dakota, there is a restaurant, and it's called Space Aliens. And I took the kids there. Becca went to, to, to lunch with her dad, and so I took the kids to Space Aliens because it sounded fun. And, and there's nothing else to do. So you can go out to eat or you can be inside, but that's it. That's, you can go bowling, I think, um, but that's all you can do in the winter in North Dakota. Be inside or be inside. So we went to Space Aliens, and there's aliens everywhere, and, and then you can spend extra money there to play games uh, to win garbage um, that is shaped like aliens. And so the kids played games and won garbage that was shaped like aliens, And then there's been a lot of alien talk in the house lately because of all of that stuff. Um, There's some pretty weird stuff that you can get to with aliens. Don't know if you know that or not. But there's aliens in the Bible. And that's what we're talking about today. Aliens in the Bible. This is not going where you think it is. (laughs) But there's aliens in the Bible. Uh, Let's go ahead and read Ephesians chapter 2. Starting in verse 11. The Bible says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath broken down one, who hath both 
who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And, it, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Uh, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, sure thankful for this morning. God, thankful for the fellowship of your saints. I can say just like Brother Fia, I was tired this morning. Did not sleep well, Lord. But there is something to be said about being around your people. And God, singing praises to you, Father. Uh, what a blessing that that is. And Father, what a benefit that is to our lives. God, thankful for it. Pray, Lord, that you'd use this time. And God, getting ready to, to, to preach any time, Lord, getting ready to speak your words to your people, it's a humbling thing, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would use it, that you would put me behind the cross, Lord, that the eyes this morning would be upon you. I pray, Lord, that your word would find fertile hearts. And God, that we'd be willing to be moldable. God, that we would be willing to change. God, that we'd be willing to conform to, to the image of your dear son. God, I pray, Lord, that you be with the services this morning. Be with our pastor while he's away. God, thankful that you're using him in the way that you're using him. And God, help us to be thankful for that, Lord. Pray, Lord, that you be with the services this morning. Pray that you get the glory and honor from it. And pray this in your precious name. Amen. Then you can go ahead and be seated. This time we'll hear a special.
fighting back, just wooing at the moment, just woo, you know, yeah, that's, that's the kind of mu music that gets you riled up a little bit. He is the best thing that's ever happened to me. He can be the best thing that ever happened to you this morning. So on our, our trip to, to Bismarck, I, I made the comment to Becca when we got back. Uh, first of all, it just, we were able to come back and get, we got back Wednesday, was able to make it to service Wednesday night. And it, it just felt like home. You know what I mean? It, it was just good to be home and, and good to be with our church family and, and just thankful for that. Not that there was anything wrong in North Dakota. It was just one of those things where it's good to be home. And then I made this comment to Becca. I was, we did a lot of, like, there's nothing else to do. It is negative 30 outside. You're not going outside. So it was just a lot of family time. So there's the trade-off. It's really cheap to fly to North Dakota, but you're going to spend a lot of time together. It's really cheap in, in, in January to fly to North Dakota, but you're going to spend a lot of time together. Uh, and it was all good time. But I made the comment to Becca. I said, Bex, we, I'm pretty sure we started off every sentence with either our church, our pastor, or someone in the church. We talked about y'all a lot. We talked about y'all a lot. Brother Don, I talked about you. I said, you're fueled with joy and Mountain Dew. Joy of the Lord and Mountain Dew. Talked about Brother Ken. Um, talked about the Timmermans. We were talking about uh, um, when we when you had those those young people come up here at the more at the Veterans Day, wasn't it Veterans Day? Talking about that. Uh, talked about Brother Justin, who taught Sunday school in my stead. Brother Paul talked about you. Brother Sharp mentioned you guys. Gene and Vesta, we're Gene and Vesta. We talked about Gene and Vesta. Brother Snow, we talked about you. Uh, the Parkers, we talked about you. Marcus, Andrew. Uh, who's usually sitting across from, no, I don't see it. There he is, way back there. Yep, he moved. That, God bless you, man. Good job. <laughs> Making some way for some guests. That's a blessing. We talked about so many of you. Brother Dempster and Mrs. Dempster, Max and Carrie, Nate. We talked about Fiavi a lot. <laughs> you know how hard it is. <laughs> Chee-hoo! You know how hard it is to explain Brother Fiavi to somebody who has not met Brother Fiavi? That is an impossible task. Impossible task. Man, just glad to be back and, and, and glad to be in a church family like we have. It, it's a blessing. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're at. Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, this was not the plan, but this is the way it's worked out. A while back we preached through Ephesians chapter 1, and then we started in chapter 2. And then uh, Eve, we went through verses 8, 9, and 10 and talked about those a little bit. But in, so far in Ephesians, in chapter 1, um, chapter 1 starts in verse 3 with the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. Once we are saved, there are spiritual blessings that we have. And then you go through verse number 5 and, and we get to that, that scary word that, that Christians shouldn't scare you, but it's it, that word predestined. And, and that word, people make it out to mean a lot of different things, but it means exactly what it says. He's predestinated us, and the us is those who are saved unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. It means we, once we're saved, it is set in stone. We are children of God. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We have a home in heaven. It's set in stone. It is set before. If we get saved, once we are saved, that is our home. 
And then in verse 13, the Bible says that we're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, uh, which basically means once we're saved, we're always saved. But that blows some people's minds. It does. It blows some people's minds. And so you get the question, well, we can, we can sin as much as we want then. If we're always saved, we can sin as much as we want. And, and we hear that, that comeback quite a bit. And, and honestly, it's kind of a reasonable comeback, isn't it? Well, if I'm always saved, then why can't I just sin as much as I want to? Well, that's not a new problem. That's not a new problem. Paul dealt with that back in his day. Uh, number one, once you're saved, I can tell you right now, I don't want to sin. That's not something that I want to do. It's something that still happens because I am still a sinner saved by grace, but I don't want to. But Paul addressed it in Romans chapter 6 in verses 14 and 15. He says, For sin, hath not, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? He was dealing with that same thing back then. We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. We know we have full and free for the rest of our life. Can we just sin as much as we want then? And Paul says, God forbid. God forbid. Why? Verse 16 in, in Romans chapter 6. To obey his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. He's basically saying there's not eternal consequence in the, in, the, in the penalty of hell, but there is still consequence for sin. There is still earthly consequences for sin. If you murder somebody, there's a consequence for that. Um, there, there are consequences for many things, for many sins that we have earthly repercussions from, repercussions from. But once we're saved, we're always saved. You can't lose it because you didn't do anything to gain it. And that's what we talked about. It was New Year's Eve. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't lose it because you did nothing to gain it. And you are sealed until, until the redemption of the purchased possession, the Bible says. And that purchased possession is you. If you're saved here today, it's me. We were purchased, and we were purchased with the blood of Christ. And so we're saved until that purchased possession is redeemed. Until we go to heaven. And that's our eternal, eternal home. But salvation... And our, well, our, our brains, like I said, we don't like that because we don't deserve that. And that's where that question really We are. We know what we are. We know we don't deserve that, but it's the amazing grace of God, the power that is in the blood of Jesus Christ. And salvation is amazing. We talked about that on New Year's Eve too. Salvation that's so full and free. And it is amazing. Hebrews chapter 7 says that we're saved to the uttermost. All of it. Which in contrast, it doesn't mean that some people... You got saved like 25%. Like you're almost there. You know. Uh, it's saved to the uttermost. Which means it's all of you. you. You got saved. You got all of the Holy Spirit when you got saved. You got every bit of Him. But salvation that is so full and free, and we talked about this a little bit too, uh, when we're saved so full and free, the 
us to take for granted the blessings of God. Just with our salvation in general. Man, over time, without careful consideration, we can get less and less enthusiastic about the fact that we are saved. As a matter of fact, when we start hearing salvation messages, it's like you just turn that thing off. I've heard that. Now, that's our tendency. It's our tendency. That happens. Without some careful consideration, our tendency is to forget the blessings of God in our lives. So Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 1, Paul starts giving some reminders. And the reminders that he starts giving is, is so you can remember some things. In, in, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. The first thing he tells you is you need to remember who you were. You need to remember who you were before Jesus saved you. Uh, he said you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead to God in your trespasses and sins, but you hath he quickened. Quickened is to be made alive. You were dead in your sins. He's made you alive. And you need to remember that. Not so you, you can relive all the guilt of sin that's been in your life, but you need to remember where you've been. Because when you fail to remember the past, you're doomed to repeat it. When you fail to remember where you come from, you don't know where you're going. And when you don't remember that, it causes a reproduction of failure in our lives. And so we go to chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He tells you, uh, it, for by grace you are saved through faith. He's not telling these people how to be saved. They already were saved. He's talking to the faithful, the, the Christians that are at Ephesus. He's talking to saved people. But what he is saying is you need to remember how you were saved. You need to remember where you came from, and you need to remember how you were saved. You need to remember that you were saved by grace through faith, and that that grace costs something. You, were a, you are a purchased possession, and you were purchased with the, the blessed blood of Jesus Christ. And that grace, it cost something, and that there's a price for that grace. Because when we fail to remember that, when we fail to remember that, it causes self-reliance in our own self-righteousness. We start to think we deserve a whole lot more than what we are. And then in verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He's telling us, remember, you have a purpose. Remember, you have a purpose. Works are not a bad thing. They're not going to save you, but we are called to work for him. The Bible says in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I've heard that verse preached many times. And it's usually in the context of, of, bless God, they can just kill me. They can just kill me. I get heaven anyway. There's truth in that. Right? Amen. There's truth in that. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain, I get heaven. But, man, I want to do the first part of that verse well. For me to live as Christ, I want to live for him well. I am not in a hurry to die. Now, my energy drink consumption and my food choices may say something different. <laughs> but I'm not in a hurry to die because I, I want to do the first part of that verse well. It's my purpose. It's your purpose. So he's telling him, I want you to remember who you were. I want you to remember how you were saved. And I want you to remember that you have a purpose. Because when you don't remember that you have a purpose, it causes complacency in our lives. And that brings us to our text this morning. Paul tells him to remember one more thing. He tells him to remember one more thing. In verse 11 and in 12 here, he tells him, I want you to remember that you were aliens once. He's telling him, I want you to remember the alienation that was there. 
He said, I want you to remember the discord. I want you to remember the disunity. And I want you to remember the distance. Because when we fail to remember the alienation, it causes some things in our lives. And the first thing that it can cause, and, uh, and Brother Max said hour and a half, so like football game doesn't start till one. So I think we're good. One or two? Is it one or two? 12.30. Okay. Yeah, but that's Eastern time, so we're good. We got like three more hours after that. So there's three points here we're going to go through, and just a good reminder of what Paul's saying here. Uh, the number first one is the discord. He said, I want you to remember that. Look in verse 11. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. And so what Paul's saying here is there is a group of people that are calling the other people uncircumcised who were circumcised. And you, what you have to do is understand the mystery. Not the mystery of aliens, uh, mystery of Christ. And Paul talks about that a lot. If you look in chapter 1, verse 9, he makes the first mention of it in Ephesians. He said, And having made known unto us the mystery of his will. And then look over in chapter 3, in verse 3. He says, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words. He wrote afore in a few words. That was back in chapter 1. The mystery is something that was revealed to Paul. And if you look in chapter or verse 4, he says, Whereby, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles by the prophets, uh, and prophets by the Spirit. So Paul's telling him, there's a mystery, and he used three verses to say, I know the mystery. And then he tells you what the mystery is. So it's no longer a mystery. In verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. And so the mystery was that the Gentiles are in. They have a clear path to salvation and it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's, that, that was the mystery that was not known before. When, when Jesus Christ came, he came to be the, the, he was the, to the lost sheep of the children of Israel. Now, the Gentiles are in. They have a clear path to God. But the Gentiles were those that, the, that were the uncircumcised, if you see it in verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision. So the Jews had a very big problem with the Gentiles coming to God when they were uncircumcised. Uh, you see it in Acts chapter 15. If you, if you turn over there real fast, you don't have to, but I'm going to. Um, Acts chapter 15 and verse 1, you see it all the way back here. And this was the first council of Jerusalem. And there was men that were teaching this. And it says in verse 1, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. So it was a big problem back in Paul's day. There was a big, big hubbaloo about it. And so what this was is this was the, the, the Jews wanted the Gentiles to have to jump through some of the rigid customs and traditions they had in order to have a pathway to salvation. And that was a pretty big turnoff to the Gentiles, as you can imagine. 
Yes, I want to have a relationship with God. I want Jesus Christ. I want to be saved. You need to get circumcised. Okay, maybe. It's a turnoff to the Gentiles. The, the, the Jews saw the condition of the Gentiles as something different from what they were. Uh, they, they, they saw them as, as dogs, the Bible says. They were Gentile dogs in their mind. They were unclean and unworthy. There was some serious segregation and racism. They were second-class citizens, even those that were saved. They were second-class saved citizens. They were, they were below. If you look in, in verse 14 of chapter 2, the Bible says, For he is our peace, who hath, both, who, who hath made both one, who hath broken down the middle wall of partition. The middle wall partition was just that. It was a wall that was separating the inner court of the temple from the outer court. The Jews, or the Jews could be in the inner court, and the Gentiles were in the outer court, and the Gentiles could not come into the inner court. There was that middle wall of partition that was up there. There was complete segregation. But the Gentiles saw the Jews for what it was. See, that's the thing, that, that rigidity and that, uh, that, that they had in, in the traditions that they have. The Gentiles could see that. And that's what was a turnoff to them. And people see more than you know. People see more than you know. What they see is sincerity. I'm, I'm so thankful, and, and I've heard it a couple times this week, I love to hear what people say about our pastor. I love it. Uh, I heard, heard just this week someone saying, you know what attracted us to, to this church is seeing a man so sincere. That we had only come to church a few times, well, a couple times, and then we were in the hospital and you came and visited us. Just sincere. And that sincerity goes a long way. When, when people see, people see when things have become tradition and not heart service. People see those things. When it becomes duty more than love. People see that. People see sincerity. And they'll see a lack of sincerity as well. So there's two principles here. You're, number one, when it comes to heart service or, or, or and duty, you're not always going to feel like it. We talked about this in Sunday school. You're not always going to feel like it. You're not always going to feel like coming to church. You're not always going to feel like... As a matter of fact, I think 95% of the time, you're always going to have some apprehension about handing somebody a gospel track. And that doesn't go away. It doesn't. Your flesh don't like it. Handing somebody a gospel track. You're not always going to feel like it. But number one, you need to do what's right, whether you feel like it or not. Whether you feel like it or not. But the second thing is, is that's not a place where you need to live. Where you're just serving out of duty alone. It gets to be a pretty lonely place when you're not serving out of heart service anymore. And, and when it comes to that stuff, man, pray and try to get that thing right. And if you can't figure that thing out with the Lord's help, then come and talk to somebody. Don't live in that spot. Talk with pastor. Talk with me. Talk with someone. Iron sharpeneth iron. So if you're dull, take some initiative. Take some initiative. But there was segregation and separation in these two groups of people. There was, there was one felt superior and the other needed acceptance. And we can look at that and we can go, how dare they? People who needed the Lord and they kept them on the other side of the wall and kept them completely separate from them. But it happens in churches like ours all the time. It happens in churches like ours all the time. Someone who's a little different comes in the door. 
and their appearance, attitude, and this is a big one, personality. Man, there are some people who are not agreeable, who are very hard to get along with. But God has called us to them too. God has called us to them too. They come from a different background, a different church, and the first thought in your mind when you see them coming through the door is, I'm not getting close to that. I'm not getting close to that. Or what about when a church starts to form some cliques? That can happen as well. And I have my group of people that I associate with, and I let nobody else in. Now, it, it's great, and it's a wonderful thing, and it is not wrong, and it will happen that you click more with certain people. You're going to click more with certain people. And it's not wrong that we build wonderful relationships and strong friendships, but it is a problem when guests come through the door ungreeted. It is a problem that we won't let anybody else in. It is a problem that... Uh, they come in towards the end of the service and, and we hear the doors open and we're sitting in our comfortable seat because we have our spots where we sit. I know exactly where we sit. Brother Paul's over here. Brother Timmermans are over there. Uh, 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 Brother Zach's usually there. And then Andrew's usually right on the other side of him because they're angry at each other and won't sit in the same aisle. Uh, I think they're still angry about the hunt that one of them didn't take a shot at or something like that. It's, it's, it's bad blood. You need to pray for them. Brother Max is usually over here. Me and, me and Becca are usually over there. Brother Don's over here, but that is his seat. He has earned it, and it smells like Mountain Dew. So just <laughs> leave it there. Brother Fiavai is over here. Uh, you know, we, I know we have our seats. We have our spots. The problem is, is when we'll rubberneck and look at them walking in and then turn right back around and ignore them. Until we have room, and I'm, just ta I'm, I'm talking to... to West Valley Baptist Church members who've been here for a little bit. You can go a service not sitting in your seat. You can go a service not sitting in your seat. When we got these young people that go in the back room to make room up here, that's your seats now. That's our seats now. So we can leave some room for some visitors in the back. And we can spend some time outside of our seat. If you, if you see them come in and they're standing there looking for a place to sit and they can't find it until we get some more room in here, Man, be the first one to take a step out of there. I got a couple seats here. I'll stand for an hour. Hour and a half, maybe two. We'll see. That, that middle wall of partition was broken down, and it gave equal access to God, so we can't be the ones that are building the walls in our church. We want people to get in, and we want people to be a part of what's going on here. There's some exciting things going on here, but there was exciting things going on here before we talked about knocking down walls, before we talked about building anything else. There are some exciting things going on in West Valley Baptist Church. And if they choose to not be a part of it, that, that, that's on them, but it should never be said that we're the ones that put up that barrier and made it impossible for them to get in. That's right. I, I, someone who's very near and dear to me started going to church one time. And I was in North Dakota at the time and, and coming to church, finally making some strides until someone who was also very near and dear to me said some bad things about them. And now in all honesty, the person who was very near and dear to me that started coming to church probably was looking for that first excuse to go. But I hate the fact that that was the excuse he found. They don't need to find that excuse here. 
It should never be said that we're the ones that put up those walls. So what Paul's saying is I want you to remember that alienation and that disunity that was there before because it has no place in the church. And, and look at verse 15 and 16 of chapter 2, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both, that's Jew and Gentile, unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. It's one new man, one body by one cross. In verse 18, the Bible says, For through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit unto the Father. And then in verse 19, it says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers, not aliens anymore. You're not foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. When it says we are fellow citizens, it means we have the same goal and the same purpose as each other in here. If we are saved, we have the same purpose and we are the same goal. Doesn't mean we're the same in every other area. There are personalities that can clash with ours. But that goes out the window when we have the same goal and the same purpose. We should be able to look at that and understand as mature Christians that there is a higher calling than that person kind of rubs me the wrong way. There is a different goal. It's the same goal and the same purpose. But we can alienate other people pretty fast. But we can alienate ourselves as well. And that's the disunity. Uh, look at verses 12 and 13 one more time. And at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So Paul is telling the Gentiles here that you were aliens. You were outsiders looking in. You, 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 on the commonwealth of, of Israel, that group and its standings, you were strangers from the covenants and promises of God, meaning you don't have them. You were far away. No hope. No hope. And without God in this world. And then he tells them, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And that blood is what brought you in. Into the commonwealth, into a group of people, one body, now partakers of the promises of God. And you know what you have now? Hope. Hope. That's what you got now. The blood of Jesus Christ made it possible for you to be in and now you have hope. And you have the promises of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, the Bible says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. It's the same mystery. Which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. You were afar off, but now you're nigh. You were far off, but now you're in. So how do we alienate ourselves? By backing away. By backing away. We start to withdraw ourselves. We were in, but now we're starting to back away. And withdrawing ourselves, it usually starts with deception. And deception starts with being a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word. Yeah. 
The Bible says we deceive our own selves. We deceive ourselves when we do that. So when we stop applying God's word to our lives, that's when deception starts to come. And we become hearers of the word and not, not doers. We start to deceive ourselves. And it usually comes in the form of deceiving ourselves into thinking that our sin is not sin. Or that it's okay to harbor it. Or that you can handle it. Staying in our sin and setting up those barriers in our lives again. A barrier between us and God. And we can also start setting up those barriers between us and other Christians. Coming into church and harboring unforgiveness in our hearts towards somebody else. Man, that's uncomfortable. We're not that big of a church. You're going to run into each other. I remember growing up, I grew up in a big church. I could hide. You can't hide. You can't hide, and you can't see more than two feet when we're shaking hands. So you're going to run into somebody that you may not like and you have a problem with and you have not forgiven. But coming into church and harboring unforgiveness in our hearts towards someone else, that is a very uncomfortable situation. And that feeling of resentment and hurt every time you come into God's house. And our natural response to something like that is to start to what? Withdraw ourselves. And to alienate ourselves from everybody else. Sin isolates. Doesn't have to be the sin of unforgiveness or bitterness. But sin isolates. Ephesians 4.32 the Bible says, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And I look at that verse and I think, okay, kind. All right. I can fake that. I can fake kindness. I can, I can be kind to someone's face. Hey, bro. Good to see you. I don't like you at all. You made fun of me not having hair. I'm going to, yeah, I'm not going to go down that road. There's still some unforgiveness there. Some bitterness rooted, rooted deep, not as deep as my follicles, but deep. But kind, okay. And that's how I look at this verse sometimes. I can fake that. Forgiveness. Forgiveness can be hard. It can be hard. But number one, it, it's not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. But I, can I be honest with you? I, I don't find forgiveness hard. And in all honesty, probably it's, someone hasn't wronged me in that way. It's so deep and so hurtful. I don't find forgiveness that hard. For me, it's easy to, I just have that mindset in me. I'm just kind of like, okay, I forgive you. I love you. We're good. What I find hard is tenderhearted. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Say, what's tenderhearted? It's the opposite of hardhearted. The opposite of hardhearted. When we allow the wrongs from other people to become the wrongs in our life. 
Meaning that we know we should forgive, but we don't. So the wrong that someone else did to us has now become sin in our lives. See how backwards that is? That the wrong and the hurt that that someone did to you, but your unwillingness to forgive them has now become sin in your life. It's like they win twice, isn't it? They say bitterness is, 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 is like drinking poison and hoping it hurts the other person. And then we get to the point of, okay, fine, I'll forgive them. But I'm not letting anyone get that close to me again. That's hard-hearted. Christian friend hurts you, so so I'm not going to let any other friend near me anymore. I'm going to withdraw and alienate myself. Or how about this, a pastor did you wrong. So I'm not going to let anybody get that close again. I'm not going to give anybody access again. I'm going to keep everybody at arm's length so I can't get hurt again. We have to realize that we can't allow the hurt that somebody else did to become a sin in our life and to hinder our future relationships. That's what tenderhearted is. These fellow citizens that the Bible talks about are not perfect. We'll mess up. But we are one body. And you, can, you think you're shutting them out, but really what you're doing is just withdrawing yourself from that body. You think, well, if I don't let them in, I can't get hurt. If I don't let that pastor in, then I can't get hurt. If I don't let those people in, then I can't get hurt like I once was hurt. You think you're shutting them out, but you're just withdrawing yourself. You're alienating yourself, and you are making it really hard to love you. That's the truth of it. You are making it really hard to love you. I was sitting in a meeting one time. I was in a college and career group uh, many moons ago. I had hair back then. Uh, it was going, but, but there was still hope. Uh, sitting in a college and career group and was sitting there with uh, our college and career group leader. It was Pastor Mitchell, who is uh, Mrs. Johnson's brother, who's a pastor in North Carolina now. But we were talking about those Christians who come to church, but, but they fail to really get in. And they're just on the outside. And he was trying to find a good word to describe them when another good friend of mine just piped up and he has a brain that works this way. And so he said, yeah, they're the flaky exterior. (laughs) The flaky exterior. And then we started thinking about that and went, that's a pretty good analogy. You guys ever got a croissant or a croissant or I don't know how you say it. (laughs) Croissant. And... You take a bite into that thing, and if you too much pressure here or too much pressure here, you got a mess. Uh, we go to Winco or, or Walmart and get those loaves of French bread. And I'll take one of those loaves, and the kids like to eat those things, and I do too, but you cut the loaves and you give them a piece of bread, and they'll just eat the bread. Nothing on it, just the bread. But you turn around, and then you look back, and there are crumbs everywhere. Where, to the point where you're like, I don't know if you actually got any food. Because there is a loaf of bread worth of crumbs right here. It's amazing. It's amazing. Two seconds, how much crumbs can be there. But maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're the flaky exterior. 
Man, it just takes a little bit of rubbing the wrong way. A slight wind, and you're gone. You're no good to anybody there. You're no good to anybody on the outside. And you're no good to yourself there. And you think you're protecting yourself from hurt, but you're not. Because you can't do that. No, we need to understand that we can't protect ourselves from things like that. You can do as much as you want to do and you can hide as much as you want to hide, but you are not protecting yourself from hurt and failure. As a matter of fact, you are setting yourself up for a lot more hurt and failure in the future. And we, we talked about it this morning. Brother Max mentioned it. Brother Fiavi mentioned it. How good it is to be in the house of God and to dwell with the brethren here. And what a joy that it can bring to our lives. Man, it is set up by God. But when you stay on the outside, you don't get the benefits from that, do you? You were far off and now nigh. You were far off. And by the blood of Christ, it brought you nigh. I was thinking about this last night. Man, there, there are some people, when, when they get saved, D.L. Moody said it this way, when children get saved, it's like two souls got saved. It's like two lifetimes got saved. And what he means by that is that they don't have to go out into the world and get all dirtied up with sin and have so many regrets and pain and scars that that still brings. They can get saved, they have a, they have a lifetime for Christ. But some people come from afar off. Which, in all honesty, the other side of that is, is those kids that grow up in church. We start to think, man, I don't have as cool of a testimony as that biker dude who was in a gang and did all this bad stuff. And God reached down and grabbed him out of that thing and saved his soul. And now he's off preaching for the Lord. You have a better testimony. You have a better testimony. You never had to get to that point. You never had to get to that point. So I think about those that came from afar off. And those that were nigh. If you look in uh, verse 6. Or no, sorry, that's the wrong. Verse 17. It says, And he came and, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. The far off people were the Gentiles. The nigh people were the Jews. They knew of God. They, 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 were, they, they knew exactly who God was. But I think about the kids that are back there in Sunday school and in children's church. Man, I, I don't want my kid to have to come from a far-off place. I want my kids to come from a place that's nigh. I don't want them to have a lifetime of sin that they have to deal with. I don't want them to bear the scars of those things. And you've got to understand, kids, that's the motivation behind so many of the things that your parents do. They don't want you to have the same scars that they had. But I don't want my kids to have to come from a faraway place. I want them to come from a place that's nigh. Here's the problem in that. If I stay on the flaky exterior, where are my kids coming to church from? If I'm not willing to deal with that unforgiveness, what's that going to cause in my life? Remember how I said people are more perceptive than what, what we think? They can see sincerity. So can those little eyes. So can those little guys. They see sincerity. You think you're harboring 
that, that, that bitterness in your heart and you're hiding it and you think you're okay in your condition because that's what sin does. It, it, it keeps you far away and you've deceived yourself into thinking that. Your kids see it. They see it. And then they start to see what the Gentiles saw in the Jews. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. We can alienate ourselves. And then lastly, we can alienate ourselves from God. Paul told him to remember the alienation from the Jews and, and from God. He told him, you are without God in this world. And he wants them to remember that alienation because you need to appreciate the access that you have now. You need to appreciate the access that you have now. Look at verse 17. Uh, we read that. Look at verse 18. For through him, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit unto the Father. Discord and alienation can happen in our lives when we didn't ask for it. It can the Gentiles didn't want that alienation. They wanted access. And when we fail to remember the discord and the alien status to the promises and, and access to God that we had, we start to take for granted that access that we have now. So how do we alienate ourselves from God? We withdraw. He's the one who brought us nigh by his blood. And then slowly as a Christian, we've started to back away. Back to a state of being far off. His blood brings us nigh, but we can choose to alienate ourselves again. It's sin in our lives that we choose to hold on to. It's harboring unforgiveness and bitterness in our hearts. Holding on to that in the face of his command to forgive. It's choosing hard-heartedness because it is a choice. Hurt doesn't have to cause hard-heartedness. Choosing to let the wrongs of others dictate the blessings of God in our lives. See, what happens when we start to withdraw ourselves, the very next step in that is blame. Withdraw turns to blame. Well, they did this to me. Man, I'm sorry. That's hard. It stinks. But you got to forgive them. You got to forgive them. Until the wrongs that have been done to you outweigh the wrongs that were done to Christ, you got to forgive them. So you got to forgive them. Well, you don't know what they did to me. No, I don't. And in all honesty, I don't need to know for me to tell you that you got to forgive them. you got to forgive them. You're alienating them, you're alienating yourself, and you're alienating yourself from God. It's amazing to me how fast it's pastor's fault. But if you look at it this way, you say, I, you don't know what they did to me. No, I, I don't know what they did to you. But you need to forgive them. Oh, well, you're taking their side then. I need to forgive? So you must be taking their side. 
It happens like that. Blame always points everywhere but where it needs to, which is usually this way. It's hard to do this. Use your thumb. Blame always points everywhere but where it needs needs to. And it doesn't mean that the wrong that was done to you is not wrong. That's a big thing. It's not saying that it doesn't hurt and that it wasn't wrong and that it wasn't sin. But when you choose to not forgive them, when you hold on to that bitterness, your sin is not their fault. Your sin is not their fault. They did not cause your sin. They hurt you, but they didn't cause your sin. The only person that causes your sin is you. Your sin is not their fault. Withdraw and then blame, and then eventually it's just separation. That flaky exterior just crumbles away. You were close. But now you're afar off. When we fail to remember the alienation, the separation that we had from God, from fellowship, the separation that we had from hope, when we don't remember the past, we are doomed to repeat it. We are doomed to repeat it. So Paul's telling him in in this passage of Scripture, in Ephesians chapter 2, he's telling him, I want you to remember who you were. I want you to remember how you got saved. I want you to remember that you have a purpose. But I want you to remember that alienation. I want you to remember that separation that was there. Because when you fail to remember the separation that was there, you fail to remember the access that you have. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, sure thankful for who you are. Thankful for this church. Thankful for the fellowship this morning. And God, pray, Lord, that you'd work in your people's lives and hearts this morning. And pray, God, as Brother Nate comes down and and gets ready to sing and we prepare for, Lord, an altar call this morning. God, that you'd speak to hearts and give us, give us the strength, Father, to do what we know is right. God, if we're harboring unforgiveness and bitterness in our lives, God, that's going to keep us from fellowship with you and, God, from the blessings that you have for us in our lives. Pray, God, that you help this morning and pray these things in your name. Amen. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, you can go ahead and stand.